You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Greetings and welcome to BeckQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. Joe Ostrowski has the day off, but we are here with you from 9 to noon Eastern on the BeckQL Network. Listen to the show on the Odyssey app. Watch the show on twitch.tv slash BeckQL and YouTube and follow us on X at BeckQL Daily. Joining us on the program today, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus will get us ready for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And then at 11 o'clock Eastern time, Rick Camp from 4 for 4 in Betsperts has many a bet on today's jam-packed NBA card. But first, let's talk about last night. And while I was spending yesterday really getting my Australian Open futures, uh, all those ducks in a row, uh, Aaron, how did your NBA bets turn out? Pretty good, although uh, a little short on the sun spread, as I'm sure you heard. Uh, historic comeback, but didn't cover the four. So that ended up going to minus four. And um, they only won by, what, two points? So bummer there. Uh, full disclosure, I did put in a parlay. I thought about mentioning it on the show, but it was minus 220, and I knew everyone would be like, ew, you can't give out a minus 220 parlay. It was a Jokic and Sabonis. Oh, and give it out. On- it's kind of a, a bad look to do a parlay that's uh, not uh, plus money. But, you know, you know those guys. That was... Honestly, though, if you do look at Jokic and double-doubles, that was like the best value. I think it was only like minus 400 last night. Sometimes it's like mm-hmm. minus 1,000, 2,000. It's crazy. But uh, both those guys typically get triple-doubles. Sabonis did. Uh, but on the Sun side, I, I didn't expect them to be down like that. I thought the Kings were going to just be exhausted from that road trip. And then you started to wonder, like, okay, you know, the big three, they're finally playing together. Hopefully they're going to go on a run now. I mean, it was cool what they did and came back, but a little worrisome that they just got off to that slow start. Yeah, it, it is fascinating when we're trying to analyze like what to make of the Suns because we we saw this from the Nets a few years ago when KD was there, right? Where when you're looking mm-hmm. at futures and the record and all that good stuff, you're like, okay, well, we still believe in KD even though the Nets have a bad record and they might get uh, matched up with, say, the Celtics in the first round. What are we to believe? I mean, we like the personnel, but are they coached the right way, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder if history is kind of repeating itself. Like, yes, we have a whole second half of the NBA regular season to go. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it's like, all right, at some point we do need to see those strides for us to really believe that the Suns are true Western Conference contenders. And at least when it came to last night, like, yes, it, it was a very close game. But there is something about having that comeback and Kevin Durant being poised in clutch time, et cetera, et cetera, where you go, okay, 
that's a nugget that we can take going forward that helps us believe that, yes, the Suns can contend with Denver and all these other, the Clippers, all these other formidable teams in the West. I think the other thing that stood out to me in that game was Grayson Allen led the team in points. So on a night where it wasn't Durant or Booker or Beal, you got another guy that could chip in. So I thought that, um, you know, could give some Suns backers some hope that you don't always have to rely on those three. I want to talk about the uh, Sixers and Nuggets game because uh, it's Joel Embiid uh, getting the better of Nikola Jokic in this one. Uh, Jokic does get his double-double of 25 and 19, but Embiid, 41 points, 10 assists to go with his seven rebounds. And we talked about this yesterday as far as this being sort of a true you know, MVP head-to-head kind of contest. Yes, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is also very much uh, high on the list as far as MVP contenders. But in terms of the two guys who've already won it, who are still very much in contention, Embiid got the better of Jokic in this contest. And basketballreference.com has an NBA MVP model that uses the most predictive stats for determining who will win this honor. And right now, Joel Embiid in this model is leading the way followed by Jokic. So Embiid averaging 10 more points per game, that seems to be the key difference maker. The thing, too, is that Embiid's going to the free throw line a good bit more, averaging five-plus free throw attempts per game. So when you watch this contest, Aaron, and you're analyzing, like, who can win this honor as of right now, yes, again, plenty of time for someone, say, random to be able to make a charge. But do you feel like that Embiid separated himself from the rest of the pack after this one game? I mean, really what I think about it is that Jokic isn't as concerned about winning an MVP. I think that maybe it just doesn't mean as much to him. Uh, And perhaps he has his eye on winning a championship and that it's like, I... I kind of thought this yesterday, like, yeah, he's going up against Embiid, but I still think this is a team that could flip the switch come playoff time. And and I think saying coasting throughout the regular season is a bit extreme, but I still Mm -hmm. don't think he cares that much about it. That it's like, you know, cool Embiid, like, I don't really care. I just, you know, want to play basketball and go back to my home country in the offseason. He just seems just so chill about everything that I'm not sure that for his own ego and his mantle that he even cares about the MVP. So I wouldn't be surprised if Embiid wins it. What is the right term here? So it's not coasting. Yeah. Like you and I agree on that. It's certainly not that. But it's not like gas full throttle or you're driving down the interstate. Like what's what's the happy medium that I think best describes Jokic's cruising? Play? Like is it maybe is cruising? cruising midway? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like is that it? Like like neighborhood driving? Like you, you know, it's not just okay. You know, foots off the gas pedal is naturally moving, but like. I, I don't know, like school mailing zone it in, <laughs> mailing yeah. it in is epic, Jake. Yes, I like mailing it in because Jokic can mail it in and still get like triple doubles every night because he's that good. I mean, and and I think right. there's a great mutual respect. I love the rivalry between those two guys, and and Bead even said after the game like he's the best player in the league, like blah, 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 you won the championship. You know, he's saying all the right things, but I kind of think Jokic is playing this game like. It's all good, man. Like you could win this little, this cute little regular season matchup, but uh, we're going to win that championship. And that's all that matters to me. 
Right. And I also think Jokic is smart enough to, to know that when you do contend for a championship, whether you win it or not, that's a lot of additional minutes compared with everybody else who could be in contention here. Like Embiid got ousted in the second round. Meanwhile, the Nuggets had to play a third round and all those minutes and an NBA finals and all of those minutes. At some point, these things start to add up. And I have to believe that there is a kind of school zone driving that you have to adhere to so that you are readily available to play those additional minutes come NBA playoff time. So it makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, it makes logical sense. Maybe it's not fa- a good thing, say, for a old school basketball fan uh, who wants everyone to be driving at the interstate, uh, staying in the right lane, perhaps. But that's the only compromise you're going to get. But still, though, whatever that happy medium is, that's definitely what we're looking for. And by the way, I did catch the end of the Clippers game uh, between OKC and Los Angeles. And uh, Paul George is something special. Uh, Breaking news there. Uh, But again, it goes back to this idea that, like, Paul George can take over in clutch time. Kawhi Leonard can take over in clutch time. Like, yes, I know James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They don't have the best of playoff track records. But there are a couple of guys who can and who have, and maybe they're going to be the focal points going forward. And so maybe it's one of those deals where, okay, yes, you do have anti-clutch players, but focus on the guys who can do it. And maybe if you look at it as more of a glass half full kind of exercise, that maybe the Clippers really are contenders. I have a comp for you. Tell me how you feel about this. Like, could you see some similarities between the Cowboys and the Clippers? Like, from a betting perspective, like, maybe good in the regular season, but you get a little nervous come playoff time. Like, is this the year? Is this real? Because I don't know if I can buy in and put my money on it this year. That's where I'm at. Well, the well, the Clippers did make the Western Conference Finals recently. And meanwhile, the Cowboys did not make the NFC Championship game. So that, that might True. be the one, like, hole I'd poke through the argument, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, there may be something to it just because there is something – you know, perhaps glorious about Clippers regular seasons over the last few years and the ability for everyone to believe the ceiling is a championship. And look, there are plenty of reasons why they can very well contend here. Yes, Denver does have the continuity, but if the Nuggets do suffer, you know, any kind of key injury to any of their stars, then they're not who they were. And that does open the door for somebody else. Could it be the Suns? Maybe. Could it be the Warriors? Perhaps. But, you know, OKC, I thought, looked fantastic in a loss last night, so they'll be interesting. Minnesota is a bit of an unknown. Yes, they've had a great regular season, but can they do this when it's adapted to to a playoff space? So in that respect, like, maybe the West is a little bit more wide open where the Clippers do have an opportunity here. Again, asterisk, everybody has to be healthy. Exactly, and that's just the thing. I think it's – it's not so much like looking at what they're doing and it's just more mm-hmm. the fear. Like, oh man, do I really want to put my hard-earned money behind this team? It's just <laughs> And of course, when you don't, that's probably when they will go to the NBA finals. But um that's just something that's been worrying me. It's like, I don't know if I can back them now. Been hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Let's move on now to the NFL and coaching news. And there's not a whole lot, I guess, to get to, except for the fact that, say, uh, the Atlanta Falcons interviewed Jim Harbaugh. Nick Sirianni is going to meet with Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie later today. So whatever happens with that conversation, we have to wait, maybe wait a little while. But 
what I think is interesting in all of this is that the athletic co- correctly pointed out when it comes to maybe the slow movements with the Cowboys and the Eagles that it took eight days for Jeffrey Lurie to decide on firing Doug Peterson back in uh, 2021. But with Jerry Jones, it took six days to fire Jason Garrett back in 2020. So while we may be impatient and maybe we want these decisions to be made quickly, at the same time, I look at this and go, well, history tells us it might be a week, maybe even longer for these things to get resolved. And patience has to be a virtue in this spot. Yeah, don't they know we have shows to do? We got things to talk exactly. about. Like, Content. Get these firings done. I, I agree. And, and you've got to think, especially with, you know, Sirianni first, like, because they did go to the Super Bowl, you probably don't want to do anything drastic or impulsive. Like, you probably want to sit down and have some thorough conversations like is this fixable and if it is how are we going to fix it or is it so broken that it's just best for everyone that we turn the page here you know because Mm -hmm. it's a very complex situation and there's probably even a lot more we don't know about going on behind the scenes but the fact that so much even leaked out and we're not even in the Philly market I think that says a lot about this could be kind of toxic and maybe it's just so broken that it is best. But I think having a conversation like they're going to have is the right move rather than, you know, you just listen to certain players or whatever, you know, and make a knee-jerk mm-hmm. reaction. Yeah, of course. A- absolutely. And and it's, you know, it is about your due diligence, seeing where the locker room is, seeing what the temperature is, all that stuff. But also, who can you get to replace these guys? If you can't find somebody who is better than Mike McCarthy, and look, I think that's a fair thing to say. Like, yes, Mike McCarthy didn't have the best of, uh, you know, coaching performances in that playoff game, but can you find somebody better? If you can't, you might as well keep him. Don't necessarily change for the sake of change. Find someone who you think can unlock Dak's fullest potential. And maybe that's part of this process as well is to have those conversations and figure out, okay, this is all the information we have. Can we find someone better? And if we can't, then we need to find a way, I guess, from a PR perspective to kind of patch things up. And I do, I mean, obviously it's easier to blame Mike McCarthy and the coaching staff. And I do think it's good that Dak took a lot of responsibility too. That was not his best Mm -hmm. performance and he should. And a part of me thinks maybe, you know, to take the pressure off Dak, he's got the star on his helmet. Maybe that situation, he... It, I, I'm sure he wouldn't admit that going somewhere might be better, but I wouldn't, when you talk about unlocking his full potential, maybe a change of scenery would help Dak. Maybe so. Maybe so. It, it will be certainly in terms of like the money that he would command, the salary cap hit next year, all of that stuff. Like it may be too rich for the blood of the Dallas Cowboys. I think that's fair in terms of what you're getting versus what you would have to pay. But at the same time, like that change of scenery can be helpful for him. But also, you know, being part of an offense where, you know, the the, the handcuffs are taken off in, in some way when it comes to like the last few years, Zeke being forced to, to utilize him in some way or, you know, having other receivers where maybe they're paid a little bit more than perhaps they're worth. Like having yeah. Dak in a different spot may be useful for him. Uh, but then it may also be useful for the Cowboys in terms of them moving on. And maybe they do need a quarterback in that rookie deal just so they can solidify other areas and make it work all the way around. Agreed. And maybe just not waste, because then you're just running it back another year. Is it going to be the same old thing again when you could have started with right. a rookie? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we'll find out, won't we? This is BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we power rank the best non-quarterback units still standing in the NFL playoffs. That's coming up on the BetQL Network. We'll be right back with BetQL. McCaffrey scores a touchdown. This is BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM from BetQL. Ah, the 49ers are absolutely stacked uh, seemingly everywhere. So the question is, which of those units are we most confident in will shine come playoff time? Welcome back to BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Ed Egros and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. Let's get into the best position groups remaining in the playoffs. Now, we're taking out quarterbacks because certainly we talk about them more than enough. But which position groups will be the best of the remaining eight teams still standing. So, Aaron, how about you kick things off for us? All right. This was fun. Um, I really found this to be helpful in terms of, you know, looking at props and just matchups and um, thought this was a good power ranking. So, number five, I've got the Chiefs defense, but specifically the blitz. And that's thanks in part to Spags, who helps this team be really good with the blitz. So total defensive DVOA, Chiefs rank seventh. Crazy to think that, you know, the Chiefs uh, defense arguably better than the offense now. But just scheming pressure overall is the Chiefs defensive strength. The Chiefs rank third in defensive back blitz rate, according to PFF. So I thought that was something that really stood out. And 74 plays with unblocked pressure ranks third in the league. So I thought Mm. the blitz... Um, when it comes to the Chiefs defense is something to look out for as a major strength for this Kansas City team. At number four, no surprise here, I got the Lions offensive line. They are so good and a big reason why Detroit has been so good at running the football this season. The O-line, they also do a really great job at giving Jared Goff time. He can be effective in the passing game. So the Lions offensive line, number four, is a big strength for this Detroit team at number three. I got the Bills defense, but when it comes to takeaways, it was hard to pinpoint a specific unit because it's really a collective effort. Not only the cornerbacks, but you've got like Dodson, Russo, Teron Johnson, Benford, Rasul Douglas. So um, when it comes to takeaways, this Bills team is really good. And and that helps because they also are really good at giving the ball away, uh, but maybe it cancels out because they're good at the takeaways (laughs) as well. Buffalo has a league-leading 29 takeaways this season, and they've just got guys flying around everywhere. According to PFF, they forced 19 turnovers on targets short of the sticks. So that is the most in the NFL. So the Bills defense, when it comes to takeaways, look out for that in the playoffs. Number two, another not so shocking one. The Niners run game had to put it on here. It's hard to narrow down one strength. I think you could have made an argument for a lot of areas for the Niners. They don't have a ton of weaknesses, but this is one thing they do very well. Christian McCaffrey probably winning offensive player of the year, and he is the reason why the Niners rushing attack is the best. According to PFF, Niners rank number one in explosive rushes, two expected points added per rush, and all of this has allowed them to be very effective in play action so i think if you even look at epa all of that i mean the run game is just the best of the league 
And number one, it's really hard to find any weaknesses with this team. Of course, I am a little biased here, but it's the Ravens' entire defense. The pass rush makes it very difficult on quarterbacks. Um, Justin Madebuke, I have a hard hard time saying his last name, but he's having a, a phenomenal season. 13 sacks. Um, he's really had a breakout season and been awesome for this defensive line. And then, of, of course, you've got the leaders in Rokon Smith, Patrick Queen. They've been very solid against the run. Um, so I think Smith is just, you know, very intimidating, been a good leader. And then you've got safety Kyle Hamilton. So I think all the way around, I couldn't really narrow it down on one unit. I just think it's the entire Ravens defense. So Ravens defense, Niners run game, um, Bills takeaways, Lions offensive line, and Chiefs defense as well. You know, it's funny, Aaron, is that we took very different journeys ultimately to get to, say, similar conclusions where there may be an obvious trend as far as what I'm looking at here. But I think in terms of, say, the cream of the crop and what we're looking at in terms of the biggest strengths still standing in these playoffs, I think it is apparent to you and me and to just about every other uh, Joe Q football fan that this is something where we know exactly what to look for when we get to, say, championship weekend in all likelihood in the Super Bowl. And so in that note, let's go ahead and look at my top five list. And we'll start at number five with the Chiefs offensive line. And it is hard to analyze and figure out like how good this group is just because you have Pat Mahomes as your quarterback. But look, when he can invade, he can run. He's that athletic. He's not getting sacked. At the same time, you do have to respect, say, the few pressures that they allow. Mm -hmm. That matters a great deal. Joe Thune, Creed Humphrey have limited have limited allowing pressures. Donovan Smith, Juwan Taylor, they've added experience that can stay on their blocks while Mahomes is creating something out of nothing. This group really is underrated. And I think they're one of the big reasons why the Chiefs have made it as far as they have, despite lackluster play from their receivers. Number four, I have the 49ers pass rushers. Names speak for themselves. Nick Bosa. Javon Hargrave, Chase Young, Eric Armstead. This group is dangerous when they decide to blitz, generating a 56.6% pressure rate when sending at least five pass rushers. This is, of course, taking out week 18 when they already had the top seed in the NFC playoffs wrapped up. Fred Warner is on the list of defensive stops, meaning he's keeping opposing offenses off schedule. It is deep. It is more than capable. So I love this group. At number three, another group I love in the Bay Area, the 49ers receivers. You know the names, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. But even that next tier has gotten a lot of playing time because of all these blowout wins. That matters at the end of the day. For the season, San Fran averages 9.7 yards per target more than anyone else in the NFL 2.3% completion rate over expected. That's fifth highest. And Brock Purdy is throwing into one of the lower tight window rates in football at 13.8%. Still sticking with the 49ers here at number two. This time I'm giving love to the secondary. I will cheat a little bit and lump in linebackers when in coverage just because Dre Greenlaw is leading the NFL in receptions allowed over expected with minus 7.9 per NGS. But if you're making me true to the definition, Jair Brown has the seventh highest ball hawk rate. That's interceptions and passes defended. Tayshawn Gibson, who should be ready to go for Saturday, targeted on just 4.2% of his coverage snaps. That's the second lowest in the NFL. Group has also allowed the second lowest rate of explosive plays. 
they will force quarterbacks into mistakes or basically surrenders. But then at number one, there's got to be a place for Baltimore to get acknowledged here, right? To me, I'm going to focus on the secondary. PFF gives Baltimore the highest coverage grade in the NFL. What they did to fool Trevor Lawrence, what they did to fool Brock Purdy, what they did to contain the potent Dolphins, that makes them the scariest group in these playoffs. Allowing the fifth fewest yards per target is safety Kyle Hamilton. Though he missed the last couple of games, he's not on the injury report now. This matters a lot. Ronald Darby was also a late offseason pickup. He hasn't disappointed, allowing just 4.2 yards per target. And so, Aaron, I think it's safe to say you and I are roughly on the same page as far as the best group still standing in these playoffs. But at number one, the Ravens secondary, then the 49ers secondary, 49ers receivers, 49ers pass rushers, and then the Chiefs offensive line, Paul. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think, you're muted. I think you're muted. How about now? Yeah. There you go. You right. sound great, so, Paul. <laughs> some similarities. Also, like, I tried to spread the love a little bit. So I Me went too. with a different team for a different team for each spot. But, I mean, it's tough. I, I'm not knocking the, the SF love. It's tough to beat them. But I will start yeah. down in Houston. The Texans front Ooh. seven. Run defense boasts the lowest success rate allowed. You add in Will Anderson, Jonathan Greenard, Malik Collins, all in the top 30 in pressures. So the Texans front seven. Give them a little love there. Uh, I know this is not going to be popular because, you know, as a kind of a space, we hate running backs. And I thought about the Detroit offensive line, Aaron. But if you look at the Lions running backs, Jameer Gibbs, most broken tackles yep. by any running back left in the playoffs, sixth overall. Dave Montgomery, second most broken tackles by any running back left in the playoffs. Uh, both uh, two, point yard, two yards or more yards after contact. So I think those guys could have a big game this week against the Bucks as well, possibly in the passing game. Uh, we know the Bucks run defense is legit. Uh, similar, Aaron, uh, Chiefs pass rush. I went with Chris Jones and George Karlaf- Karloftis, both top 15 in pressures, both with 10 and a half sacks this season. So, look, we've talked at length. The run defense is soft. For some reason, Miami got away from the run last week. Uh, we'll kind of see if Buffalo sticks with James Cook this week on the ground. But as far as the pass rush, Chris Jones, Karloftis, and company certainly mm-hmm. do their damage. So, I was torn on the Ravens. Who do I want to give the love to? And it was either a the secondary slash yeah. defense or the offensive line. Kind of an unheralded offensive line. They dealt with injuries to both tackles, Stanley and Morgan Moses, but they're healthy now. They're rested. One of the lowest pressure rates allowed. They own the number four pass blocking grade per PFF, and they are third in rush EPA. So let's give the Ravens offensive line some love. Certainly helps that they got a mobile quarterback that can get himself out of trouble as well in Lamar. And so this kind of combines both of your guys' uh, San Francisco takes. San Francisco weapons, maybe kind of a cop-out, but CMC, Debo, 
Ayuk, throw them all together. I don't know that you can have a better collection of players and talent. CMC, most touches in the NFL, number one in all-purpose yards with 2,023, tied for first in touchdowns. Ayuk, third in receptions with 20-plus yards behind just CD and Tyreek, top 10 in receiving yards. Debo, top 10 in yak. I mean, what else can you say about the San Francisco weapons? So going in reverse order, Texans front seven, Lions running backs, Chiefs pass rush, Ravens offensive line, and the San Francisco offensive weapons. I love that. I felt like, you know, when it came to the Ravens and the Niners, there was a lot of options. It was just kind of about picking (laughs) one that, you know, you could have gone many places. Um, I felt like ours were maybe a little similar, except I didn't have the Texans on mine, uh, but kind of similar thought process on some of these because obviously the the running game with the lions is you know correlates with the offensive line so it's like you can't go wrong there and honestly like last before i started looking at like specific numbers and cases like i had sf pass rush just kind of penciled in at number one but then decided to go like like there's no knocking the the 49ers pass rush obviously yeah. Right. It is challenging. Like, there's a reason why the Ravens and the 49ers captured the one seeds and they didn't do it, say, like after week 18. Like, they did it sometime prior to that. There's a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the quarterback play, it's all these other fantastic units. So, one of the reasons why I sort of focused on San Francisco so much is because it's just, just such a deep team. Like, you look at the questions and, like, why wouldn't San Francisco win the Super Bowl? Well, they do have to go up against Baltimore if they make it there in all likelihood. Uh, but also, too, it's like, okay, quarterback play is a big question just because Brock Purdy is so young and so unheralded and all of that stuff. But then you're kind of running out of excuses after that, right? Like, there, there's not that much in terms of other key arguments. So that's probably why I focused a little bit more there than anything else. But then you look at say PFF coverage grades and that sort of gave Baltimore the slightest edge. And so that became my number one uh, to go with all these other elite defensive backs who've done oh so well. And when we talk about this Ravens secondary and this defense in general, Aaron, it's something where, okay, it can be feast or famine. Sometimes they do give up explosives, but this year, the reputation has changed completely. Like, they're still getting their interceptions, still getting their defended passes, but they're also not giving up those big plays either. And that, to me, is a sign that they are really well, really well-rounded. And I wouldn't be surprised if, say, Ravens opponents are going to be keeping the ball on the ground a good bit more just because of reputation alone. But also they use safety Kyle Hamilton as an extra linebacker, too. Like, they're just so mm-hmm. versatile as well um i think the chiefs defense is pretty versatile too it's uh a lot of good defenses mm-hmm. and like another unit that's pretty strong allows one of the lowest pressure rates uh of the remaining teams bucks offensive line there certainly wasn't a top five spot for them but worth noting mm-hmm. and right. some of the other highest pressure rates like we mentioned the chiefs the texans the bills which play bills which plays into the uh the takeaways and then the lions are right up at there at the top as well like i i consider doing both detroit lines just cuz you know mm-hmm. the tr- detroit trenches you know as an option but i yeah. think with all this ravens love something i was surprised to see from our guy aaron shots which we can uh talk about a little bit later as we're going through these games yeah. lamar jackson the worst quarterback in playoff history by dvoa Something to keep in mind wow. as we break down these games. I was shocked to see that today. Whoa. That, that's interesting. Let's go Stroud. And, and I know box scores. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're right. Box score numbers have never been kind to him. EPA numbers have never been kind. So it makes sense that the argument would carry over. Uh, But, you know, at the same time, the eyeballs and the numbers have been disjointed. So I guess that's worth something here. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we go off the board right here on the BetQL Network. We'll be right back with BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Aaron Hawksworth, Eddie Gross with you, and it is time to go off the board. If you haven't heard by now, It's been a while since Detroit fans got to host a divisional round playoff game. 32 years, to put that in perspective. Jake wasn't born yet. I was just 10 years old. Uh, Who knows what I was doing. Um, But uh, it's been a while. And it's crazy. Like, you know, the fighting Dan Campbell's people are fired up. And you think about it, like... Everything you think about with the city of Detroit, I feel like this Lions team has kind of taken on the personality of the whole city. And now people have to pay almost like 1200 bucks to go see this game. Like, it's insane, Ed, how much this costs. Sunday's game in Detroit is the most expensive divisional round ticket ever. Does this surprise you? Well, they're all here clamoring to watch Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Like, that's what really is the draw here at the end of the day, is to watch that group. Mm. <laughs> yeah, right. I, You know, it, it doesn't surprise me just because, I, I, and we see this from a betting perspective, in terms of how many people invest in the Lions, rightly or wrongly. I mean, Michigan, they are really, really active when it comes to betting on their Lions, betting on other home teams, betting in general. And so in that respect, it is something where if you could measure or quantify or harness the energy that they have and they have had for a long time, it it really shouldn't be surprising. And these things do mark up. I mean, it's hard to go to, say, a playoff game in general. And so the fact that Detroit has had this, the fact that the buzz is there, the country is talking about this, and they're also really fun to watch. Like, I think that's also a big deal. It's not just that Detroit fans get to see their hometown Lions be as successful as they've ever been, but also, too, from a nationwide perspective, which team do you really want to watch the most that's still standing in these playoffs? Like, I call the Lions, like, up there, right? Because Jared Goff, Dominic Ross St. Brown's really exciting. You know, Aiden Hutchinson's really exciting as well. Like, there are a lot of things you can point to that make this team just fun to watch in general. Agreed. And, I mean, it's been a while, and those fans are just starving for a successful Lions team. They finally have it. And we've been talking about just how charismatic and fun Dan Campbell is. Um, Things are going well, so I'm happy for them. Now, currently, the cheapest seat available anywhere inside Ford Field on Sunday is more than $700. And to put that in perspective, the highest-priced divisional round game previously was last year's Niners Cowboys game and even that was about 600 bucks now we're looking about double that in Detroit so these Detroit fans got some money like they're ready to fork out some dough to see this game I mean I don't I think it could be any opponent and the price would be this 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's fair. And pretty much it is just about any opponent with uh, Tampa Bay lurking, a team that we were not expecting <laughs> to make this far, and yet they have. So here's something that I've been pondering, and, and maybe you can uh, shed some light on this. Is there any sporting event or musical event or anything else where I would shell out $1,100 or more to attend? I suppose there is like a World Series matchup where I would be willing to fork over that kind of dough. But for the most part, I wonder if because I've seen so many fantastic sporting events in person, if, say, I am a little bit more reserved with my money. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask. But I can't think of too many things where I would fork over more than 1100 bucks to be able to watch in person. What about you? So at first I couldn't think of one, but then my family, they're all diehard Raiders fans. So if the Raiders were in the Super Bowl, I wouldn't mind like being in the black hole <laughs> with mm-hmm. my dad, my brothers. Just that would be an awesome like I'm I'm down to pay for a memorable experience, and I think that would be one. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually fair. had a Paul? similar process. I was like for myself, I don't see myself uh, doing that. Like, I'm not going to drop a grand to go, I don't know, I don't even like Syracuse basketball anymore, but to go to, like, a Syracuse basketball Final Four game or national title game or Eagles or Phillies World Series, like, got a nice hookup at face value last year for the World Series. It was standing room, so I could just walk in. So I was like, all right, yeah, I'll pay the $120, $150, whatever. But as a gift mm-hmm. or, like, for a family member, like, if the Dolphins – we're in the Super Bowl or something. Aww. I would look at trying to get Dan, mm. like, contribute to the Dan fund in one way or another. Like, something like that. Or, like, my dad. I mean, one of the best experiences I ever had, my dad, ironically enough, from the south side of Chicago, diehard White Sox fan. We ended up at game two back in 2005 when they ended up winning it. He was able oh, wow. to finagle tickets through work. But, like, yeah, so Canerico blast, Pitsednik walk-off, like, freezing rain. It was so cold that night and then we get the dvds and see that it was pouring so much harder than we ever even thought but it was amazing it's one of our mm-hmm. favorite nights ever so like for a family member an experience similar to what you were saying aaron like that's where it could be something like that i don't know maybe jones got a favorite opera or something like that like i could you know <laughs> once we go to the chicago opera house but no like stuff like that again like i i think i just spend it more on stuff like travel obviously we all know that um but yeah. for an event, like I'm, I'm sure is not going outside to Buffalo in the freezing cold or Kansas City last week to like suffer through that to watch a sporting event. But like you guys also said, like probably being in the business, maybe a little jaded, not the same as like, you know, a diehard fan. Mm-hmm. I know I don't want to sound spoiled, but having like been blessed to have the opportunity to go to so many games it's uh it would have to be something like wow the Raiders who have just been so sad for so long and I know how big you know my dad is a Raiders fan my brothers it would be cool you know just to see them so happy and experience that with them and those crazy fans and as far as like oh yeah, just to yeah, switch chat real quick. It's... They seem to agree. Like, yeah. Moro, I can't see myself spending any money on anything like that. OG Plus, I wouldn't either unless I had money to blow. Gurch, True. our guy, maybe a Bears Super Bowl, <laughs> but I'll never have to worry about that. So, Jake, uh, right. what about the Masters? <sighs> yeah. But oh, like... now there you go. That I mm-hmm. might. 
I could get on board with that. Like, I'm not a diehard Masters guy, um, but like, and then like my dad isn't necessarily either. But there are people that like it's well, like bucket I'm, list. I'm famous. It's bucket list. Golfer, so. Right, yeah. state champion Jacob Son. We can get him to, uh, to the ma- no. Now he's now he's state champ. All, I stop all there. region actually. <laughs> yeah, mm. world number one. Masters is a yeah, great right. call. I mean, that's just something that I've always wanted to experience. Never have been able to. I don't think it would ever cost a thousand though. It would be much much It'd be like more double. Yeah, you. you'd have to go above. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Although you get to save money on like bargain. the pimento cheese sandwiches, like at least like some things get balanced out. Like your meals are very very cheap there, so you, you have that going True. for you. It, you know, it's funny. Like now that you've got uh, the gears going, I, I wonder. Like since the Australian Open is happening down in Melbourne, if say there's a Grand Slam tennis event that I would really love to check out, like the French Open, spend a few days in Paris, go out and check May. out some clay court matches, something like that. Maybe I'm a little likelier to want to do that than say the Masters. And I mean, look, I'm splitting hairs. Like any of those things would be amazing. But in terms of like what there is to do outside of the sporting event itself, I wonder if a Grand mm-hmm. Slam makes a little more sense for me. Well, I mean, speaking of Paris, I, uh... what about Olympics? <sighs> I thought about that. Yeah, boy. I don't know. So here's the Sometimes thing. I feel like I've those get been. so uncoordinated and like the traffic <laughs> is bad. Everybody's descending upon the place. Like I'd be a little worried about that. Like something that happens like year after year where it, it's just like clockwork in terms of how business like it is. Maybe I'm more comfortable than say the Olympics where like things could go wrong and like you're stuck in traffic for a day. That'd probably be my only concern. The Olympics, like if I knew like Usain Bolt, like if I had a chance to see him run in person, like in his heyday, okay. that like I could see myself getting on board with that. But like similar to the Paris thing and all these international like NFL games, like I would rather spend the money. And I even feel this way about like an SEC football game. Spend the money on travel, uh, lodgings, uh, everything but the ticket, tailgate, like do the whole experience. I don't need to go into the game. And I kind of like the French Open is one that has crossed my mind in the past because it's like it's May, you're in Paris, like good time of year and all that. And just an event I've never been to. So something like that could be I could see the case for that. In 2004, I interned for NBC at the Greece Olympics in Athens. And it was a good time. Partied a lot (laughs) and worked hard, played hard. It was a good time. That's Highly cool. recommend. This is like just what a visual that is. Like I'm, I'm oh, sure she's banned from the country. I at this the dudes the were was so in hot. Mykonos. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, ended up okay. in Mykonos. <laughs> yeah, cool. me in my twenties. Those Greek guys. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it sounds like Bet you all daily after dark. Yeah, we're we're getting yeah. real close to yeah. a line here. Yeah, right. Oh, I do agree with Paul, though. Like, again, I, I cool. lean the same way of, like, I'd rather spend the money on, like, the experience. rather like, And this is obviously watering it down so much. But me and my friends went to, like, an Illinois football game last year, last fall. And, like, we we just balled out on an Airbnb instead and, like, and just got a tailgate spot instead of actually going out in, into the game. And we just partied outside mm, of the stadium. I like, like that. Obviously, this is much, much, much lower scale than what we're talking about. But, like, I'd rather spend the money on the experience or, like, the lodging because, like, that's what you're going for anyway. Like, why do I care about, you know, Georgia versus Auburn? I mean, I guess that's, like, not a great example. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I know yeah, what you're yeah. saying. I agree. Because, like, sometimes even, like, you you experience the game so much better on TV. Like, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you can't even see much depending on your seats. And there's annoying people around you that you don't want to be sitting next to. And if you're going hard, like, mm-hmm. tailgating, too, once you get in, you're going to want to keep going. And then you're going to, what, blow another grand on seven beers? Like, right. Yeah. Right. Wait in lines. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Trying to get to the bathroom. All Walk to the stuff. fridge from my couch. Walk to the bathroom from my couch. As somebody who's a bona fide pee boy after like three beers, yeah. Uh, just like, gotta have access. I've already heard your urinal stories of what you guys experience at games, too. So that's a no. I'm not paying for that yeah. experience either. Exactly. This is MacQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we go prop shopping for a divisional weekend. That's coming up on the MacQL Network.